And that tells you right there, put your price up. Put your price up where it's got to be. You want to walk away from that job thinking, there, I made a buck. And you want to walk away from that job, not cutting any corners, because I charged the right amount of money. Hey now, welcome to All Things Wood Floor, brought to you by Wood Floor Business, the comprehensive database for wood floor professionals around the world. WFB, come see Wood Floor Business, come be Wood Floor Brilliant. ATWF, All Things Wood Floor, I'm Stephen Diggins. I am your oak-dusted, poly-lathered floor pro MC. You want to talk hardwood flooring? You came to the right place. Uh, more than 30 years in the field, and I still have the stand-on-their-own poly socks to prove it. My guest today, from the Great White North, Ken Peterson, President, Chief Cook, and Bottle Washer of Woody's Hardwood Flooring, Kelowna, British Columbia, Canada. Installation, sand, finish, refinishing, gymnasiums, retail, wholesale, milling, manufacturing, unfinished, pre-finished. Ken Peterson and the goodly peoples of Woody's Hardwood Flooring are doing it all, and they have been since 1986. Wood floor pros around the world, please give a big ATWF welcome from the great province of Pacific Canada, from the border that we all love to cross but never discuss what we did there. If you don't know him, you're going to love him. Mr. Ken Peterson, Woody's Hardwood Flooring Canada. Wood floor pros from Saskatchewan to Switzerland, let's get to it. Ken Peterson from Woody's Hardwood Flooring Limited. Welcome to All Things Wood Floor, sponsored by Wood Floor Business Magazine. How you doing? You know, I I, I know you've got uh, an article that I saw that's going to be coming up in what the June July Wood Floor Business Magazine. That's right. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Okay. So I I took a few notes and uh, we spoke a couple times. So Woody's Hardwood Flooring. Um, now on the internet it says 1994, but I think that you were incorporated. You you were in business way before that, right? Yeah, I started laying floors in '86 okay. uh, on my own, of course, and then uh, then uh, we started the name Woody's Hardwood Flooring and started that company uh, in 1994. Yes, and and then we and then we and then we went from there. But no, we've been, we've been laying floors since I did my first. I laid my first floor in '86, 1986. So we've been we've been going since then. That was me, eighty six, eighty seven. I was doing construction, and then someone said do a floor. Um, I was looking at some of the stuff online, and it's interesting because you guys are you, wow. You don't realize how big Woody's is until you go online and you look at what you do. And you've I I think it said you're the largest wood flooring contractor in Calgary, but you service Saskatchewan, Alberta, Calgary, that whole area. Yeah, you know, I'll just get, I'll give you a little uh, lowdown. We, I started in '86. I was raised in actually, uh, I was raised in New Brunswick. So I started in '86. I laid my first floor when I was uh, when I was 17, 18 years old, and uh, it was a Bruce, a Bruce hardwood flooring pre-finish. And uh, back then, of course, no, no YouTube to show you, no nothing, right? Like you are on your own. So I rented a nailer. Back then, there was no air staplers or air nailers. I rented that old cleat nailer from the rental store, and, and I had the job to do a room. So I thought, well, I could do this. So I took the nailer back halfway through the floor and told them the firing pin didn't go all the way down and sink the nails properly. So they said, oh, 
Never had that complaint before. So they gave me another stapler or nailer. And I went back and finished nailing the floor. And that one didn't sink neither. But it wasn't until the next floor I figured out that I laid my floor backwards. <laughs> I, I, uh, I laid it all backwards. I, I, shot, I was shooting the cleats down through the bottom of the groove. Oh, no. So anyway, I got paid. Floor still there. Never had no complaints, no problems. But uh, yeah, we laid the, my very first floor. I laid it all backwards. Oh, so, no. Anyway, it, it was a learning curve ever since then. But so, so, and I have heard of other people doing the same thing, but I blamed it on the nailer. I said the nailer wasn't sinking the cleat. It was backwards. It, actually, it's a wrong nailer. And it was all being done backwards. But yeah, so from there, we, we went in, we did wood floors. And uh, back then, of course, everything basically was sand and finish. I think really Bruce was probably the only, the only one that we'd run across for a pre-finished floor once in a while. And it was a wax finish. But, uh, yeah, and then in, in um, 94, uh, I moved my family from the Maritimes to Calgary, and times weren't good then. There was, we, you know, we call it the four Fs. We fought to get a job. We fought to get it done. We fought to get paid, and we, we fought to uh, get the service work done on it. So it was, it was just, it was a bump and a grind. And everybody said, oh, you'll never make it in Calgary. There's some big guys there. And I said, well, that's, I don't need to make it. I just wanted to do, do what I do. So we, we started, and, and I was all by myself. And my brother worked with me quite a bit. And um, I brought three crews from New Brunswick over the next year, year and a half, um, that used to work for me in New Brunswick. So that, that gave me the grounds to, to really to, to be able to build you didn't have to look for the good guys because I had the best guys. So I, I knew I knew that the only way to really, if you wanted, if you wanted to make a dent, you had to go after the biggest builder. So that's what we did. We went after the biggest home builder in the Calgary area at that time was was Jamin Homes. So we serviced the heck out of those guys for as many years as we could. And you know, back then they gave us over a million dollars worth of work every year. Wow. So we we grew from there. So we grew and um, we grew to the point where we the wholesalers we, we buy out the wholesalers every every week. Sure. And so then we decided what we'd do was we would uh, we'd go to Quebec and buy direct. So that's what we did. We went we flew out to Quebec. We made some deals with some of the guys out there, and we uh, yeah. We started buying our wood in, bringing in trailer loads direct from Quebec. But the problem we run into was trucking. Was uh, the trucking companies would never tarp our loads properly. Mm-hmm. So then I used to get in fights with the trucking company every time. And so I said, "That's enough of that." We went down and bought some freight, uh, freight, freight liners. So we now we're running our own trucks. Um, so we run trucks empty for the first while to Quebec, fill them, and then run back. But after a while, we found out that there was a need in Quebec for Western Cedar. So we used to load with Western Cedar, haul Western Cedar east, pick up our wood, and haul our wood west. So we, we, we were pretty competitive. And at that time, we were averaging four trailer loads a month. We had 37 crews. We were doing 80,000 square feet a month. We were doing over a million dollars a month in wood floors. But, you know, we ended up scaling down and scaling out. I sold, uh, I ended up selling that company to our competitors. And uh, my biggest thing was I wanted to make sure my guys were taken care of. So they went with them. 
And then I, I come out here to Kelowna, and I never to do wood floors again in my entire life. I was done. But you know what? My interest got sparked again, and I thought, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give her, I'm gonna do it again. So we had kept our name, our Woody's Harder Flooring name, but this time I wanted to do it different. I was, uh, I didn't like the way everything was brought in across the water uh, for pre-finished products. So I, I decided if I was gonna get back into the wood flooring, I wanted to make the best possible wood floor we could make. And yeah, we we we're, we're now up over three hundred thousand a month in sales and growing. Now we're opening another location in Calgary, and we'll proceed from there. But uh, yeah, it, it's fun. It's fun watching it grow. This this time starting Woody's in Kelowna was a lot easier than when I started in Calgary because back then I was twenty five years old. You're broke. You don't have nothing. Here. All you have is your energy, right? So this time's a little funny. And the economy was not good then. I got in the same reason as you. I had a choice. I had a good job that we had to work five times as hard. They weren't paying well, or I could go do flooring and make more money and be independent and not worry about being fired. And the 80s grew into the 90s. A lot changed. Before I ask you this next question, what what was your background before all that? What were you doing before all that? Before 1986? Yeah. Well... My dad told me I had to go to school for 12 years. Mm. I understood put in 12 years of time. He thought I, he thought he meant graduate. Right. Well, I got I got kicked out. The principal told me he says we keep kids in school. That's our plan. He says, but he says uh, I think you need to quit. He says, and I said, why is that? He says because you just don't do anything here. And he says you're wasting your time and you're wasting the teacher's time. So he showed me to the door. And uh, I was so happy. I left. And uh, when I got home, of course, back then, there's no cell phones, nothing. And, and my dad was uh, a contractor, a uh, uh, building contractor. So when mom called, when he called home at lunchtime to check on his messages or anything, his mom told him, Kenny's home. And he got kicked out of school. And he said, I'm coming home to get him. So he come home. He got me and took me to work. And he said, you will work every day of your life for this. He says, uh, he, 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 he says, you don't know what you just did. He says, you should have got an education. I said, yeah, okay. Well, back then, you got lots of energy. I, all I wanted to do was work. No right. problem. Bring the work on. So he, first thing he says, form up all these sidewalks. So I said, okay, and I'll give you so much money for it. You're not working by the hour, okay? So I form up all the sidewalks. And I said, there, I'm all done. And he said, no, I don't see concrete in them. So anyways, that, that's how we work. And Yes, it's, uh, we worked hard and we worked long and, and it's, it's a bump and a grind, but you know, I don't know, looking back, I probably wouldn't have changed it. I, and, and that is a concern I have. And that's why I, we wrote that article is it's always been a concern for us watching young crews try to get going on their own, try to take that next step, try to be a foreign company rather than a subcontractor and, we wrote that article that's coming out in that next in that magazine for that reason that not to discourage, not to dis- discourage any guys, but we just want to encourage them that, you know, there's a smart way of doing it. And then there's a tough way of doing it. And, you know, well, a guy got a good wife, good family, but you know, if you're tough, if things go tough in business, go tough at home too. And then you end up with, not, no business and no home life, right? No. So it's, it's, 
it, it's something that we always, I, I, I've, I've encouraged even my guys that work with me, like if they want to go on their own, I encourage them, go try her, go for it. Give her guys. I'll support you. I'll do whatever I can. But, uh, it, 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 in this this business, it's 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 a bump and a grind. It's a hard go. It's literally a grind. How did you get from pouring sidewalk forms to your first hardwood floor? What was the first hardwood floor situation? I worked one winter outside doing construction. I realized that you know I was only seventeen then. I said you know I I I like that flooring guy's job. He's inside all winter, and uh, he he's warm. He's comfortable. So I decided, you know what? I, and I never, ever thought I'd pursue a whole lifetime of, of working and career in, in the wood floors. That's not, it's just opportunity to open his doors and another opportunity and another opportunity. And that's, that's, you know, once you get knowing something, you kind of stick with it. I read over some of the notes for what you're going to speak about and what you wrote for, for Wood Floor Business Magazine. The title of the article, I believe, is um, Avoiding the Trap of Getting Bigger Without Making More Money. And in there, you talk about it's a business. You're running a business, whether it's hardwood flooring or you're sanding, et cetera. You went through everything that I went through, that most people went through. We talked a little bit. Talk about that. You know how it starts. You, you get this, you get going, you yeah. come off it, and you go, I'm going to have a yeah. showroom. I'm going to have a store. And then what happens, Ken? Yeah, you know, and that's, and that's been a concern for us just because I've walked that road already. Yeah. And I'll explain it the way I see it. Okay. And it, I think it has helped a lot of guys. I, I spent a lot of hours on the phone and, and sat across a lot of coffee tables and, and talked to guys about it. But, and I've walked the walk a couple of times with that, with it, with growing. So I'll, I'll explain to you what, how I see it. And you can, and, and I'm not saying this to be downgrading or to uh, discourage anybody, but they should, they got to know the facts. And, and here's how I see it. So if you're a, a young guy and you got a sand, you got a hummel and you got a sanding crew and you and you got a helper and you're just giving her and and you've got a good reputation and you're really happy and you're you're doing a really good job and of course automatically your your business you you get busier if you got a good reputation and a good head on you and a good you will get busier and busier and busier and the first thing that comes in your mind is I need to hire another crew. Another crew. I need to get a second crew. So that is the start of a career change that got some guys don't realize. So for round numbers, let's just say you're making a hundred dollars a day, you and your helper on your crew. So you decide, you know what? I need a second crew. I need that second crew. Cause I got so much work. So you hire the second crew. Now you, you, you got to buy them a van. You got to buy them the tools. You get, everything for them, which is okay. That's an investment in your business. But that crew is only going to make you 25 bucks a day because you got to take the other $75 and pay them. So they're only going to give you a profit of 75 bucks a day, uh, $25 a day. So now there, you got two crews going, you, you and your helper and them, but you're not quite as productive anymore because you got to, you got to take care of that second crew. You got to get twice as much work. You get twice as much estimates, twice as much service calls, twice as much receivables. So now you're only making $75 a day instead of a hundred, but your other crew is making it 25. So you're, you're basically making the same amount of money every day that you used to make. So then that's good. You're still going ahead and you're getting busier. So you think, well, you know what? I need that. I need that third crew. So you do it again. You bring on a third crew 
that third cruise making you $25 a day, your second cruise making you $25 a day, but now you're busy. Like you're got three times as much job on jobs on the go. Your work production is cut in half of what you can do a day. Correct. So now you're only making 50 bucks a day. 25 for your each of your crews and 50 bucks for you. You're still only making a hundred dollars a day. So because you're so busy, you don't stop to do the math and you're so stuck. You, you just plug ahead and, and, and this is where guys add the fourth and the fifth crew and the third or fourth, fifth crew. And then all of a sudden you got yourself working and you've got four crews working and each of them crews are making you 25 bucks a day. You, you don't have time anymore. You don't have time to work anymore. You are managing four crews. I've been there, done that many times, and I know exactly. So at that point, you're still only making 100 bucks a day because you're making $25 a day off of each of your crews, and you are running ragged. You're running around the countryside. You're, you're trying to get your jobs paid for. You're trying to get more estimates. You're trying to pay your bills. You're, this is about the time most guys do one of two things. The others say, I'm done. Because I remember when I used to go home for supper. I remember when I used to have my weekends off. I remember when I didn't have to go do estimates every evening. I remember when I didn't have to take care of all their service calls. So most guys at that point say, I am done. Now, it's hard to go back. So usually they go broke. And when they go broke, the local supplier gets stung. Anybody else around gets stung and everybody pays the price because you tried to go big. I've been there, done that. I know I've got the t-shirt, lost the t-shirt. I, right. I know exactly. And so most guys go back to themselves and say, okay. And they change their company name and they start again all by themselves. And usually they've learned their lesson. Uh, some of us guys didn't, but most smart guys did. Correct. But so guys say to me, well, okay, then what should I do? I said, well, two, one of two things. Um, you, you, you can grow and you can get past that four. And once you get past, once you get to seven or eight crews, you can still manage it. One guy can manage up to six to eight crews. Now you're making 150 bucks a day. Now you're making 50% more than you used to make, but, you know what? I would tell guys the best thing that ever happened to you is you hurt your back right. because you don't work. Stop working because you need to run numbers and you need to run your numbers and you need to run your numbers and you need to know where you're at because you are now a businessman. You are not a hardwood flooring installer or a hardwood floor finisher. You're a businessman. And when you, when you figure out that you have made a career change and that this is my, the new me, then you can succeed. If you don't, and you think, here's the number one, the biggest problem with an installer and finisher is they think their time is worth nothing. An installer will sell, a, will, he'll open a showroom and he'll sell a job and he'll go, oh, I'm going to get this job. I'm going to get this as a nice job. Oh, I, I don't care. I'll, I'll install it on the weekend myself. Well, the minute you got that mentality of thinking, it's doomsday because your store is now suffering. Your shop is suffering. Your guys are suffering. Your sales are suffering all because you were excited to get a job and you took it too cheap. So I tell guys, you know, if you, if, if you want, it's in every guy's blood to be the big shot. Yeah. I don't care who they are. They all, every guy likes to have 10 crews. Every guy likes to be the, 
likes to be the, I always say he likes to be the big shot in the hot cup. Right. You, you know, you like to guy, be the guy that has the most crews, the biggest job, the most on the go, right? So I tell guys, money in the bank is the bottom line to it all. Profit. If you want to do better, put ten, put it up 10%. Take, take, go to, there's always 30% of your jobs you don't want to do. Right. Put those 30% up 10%. And then if you get them, put all your other jobs up 10%. So now you're making, instead of, okay, just a round figure, say instead of standing for eight bucks a foot, now I'm standing for 880. So then now I'm busy at 880 and you're thinking, oh, there's a little more cash at the end of the month. And then repeat it, wait 90 days and do it again. If you're that busy and you're doing that good of work and that good of reputation, put it up, put it up, keep going up, go put it up another 10%, go up to 950 or so, 960 a square foot. And then, you know, if you don't get the job, you can always come back down. But, the number one thing a guy, oh, he always thinks he's got to work cheap in the wood for him. I don't know why that is, but they always think they got to give a deal. They got to give a deal to get the job. Well, I can tell you something in my market. I hope my competitors aren't listening, but I can tell you in my market right now, I'm a two, I'm a dollar fifty to two dollars more a square foot than my competitors on Saturday. So work away too, probably. And, and you know what? I only want, I, I have three crews, but I only want two crews sanding. So the only way to do two crews is I keep cranking my price up because I make more money selling wood that I manufacture than I do sanding swords. Sure. But sanding swords gets me in the door. I, a lot of my estimates convert to new floors. Like sanding and finishing jobs convert to new floors. So I can't stop sanding floors, but I don't want to do them because I, I make way more money installing new floors. And now, if I was working by myself, yeah, I'd make more money sanding floors than anything else. I still say sanding floors is the most lucrative business in the whole construction industry, hands down. And you're finally you getting are paid a good for sanding it. man, the sanding guy with a helper is the most, the highest paid. You know, I did a job a while ago here for a German guy. And he built, he, I walked in the job, house and he says, Ken, I built the whole house by myself. I did the electrical. I did the plumbing. I did the roofing. I did everything. I said, and why are we here? Because, you know what? Only professionals sand floors. Absolutely. And he knew that. And he, he could do everything. He did everything in that house. He did the concrete. He did the stamp concrete. He did everything. We were there sanding the floors. And that tells you right there, put your price up. Put your price up where it's got to be. You want to walk away from that job thinking, there, I made a buck. And you want to walk away from that job not cutting any corners because I charged the right amount of money. So that, you know, after you start charging the proper amount for sanding and finishing um, and, and, you make, and you're able to make a dollar and pay your taxes, you, you look back and you think, who why did I work so cheap for so long? Like, I am worth more than that. If I can encourage anything, charge lots, stay small. When you when charge you raise lots, your pricing like small. that and you walk away from work, and I've seen this forever, you see these, I have a lot of customers that come in and they're they're brilliant. They, they do good jobs. They charge a lot. They turn other work away. Half the people you turn away can't wait to tell you they have to hire you. Now they have to have you. Yeah. Or I would say to people, yeah. listen, 
here's the names of two of my competitors. And they say, why are you doing that? I said, well, I'm not the wall. I'm not the Kmart of flooring. That's not what we do. They do pretty good work. Well, that would insult people. They're like, well, I'm not a, I'm not the Kmart shopper. I'm like, well, yeah, you kind of are. Don't ask me about a dime. I know what it costs to pay my guys and to do it right. And you're right. Yeah. What, but what happens when you do, and I went through this, you have the crews and then you knock down the crews, but now you have as many crews as anybody ever. So you must have learned the secret. It must be profit margin. It must be something. You must have swung it in another way that now you can manage multiple crews in multiple locations. Yeah, and, and, and you know what my number one success in running crews was? When, when I got multiple crews, and I had a dozen crews, and, and of course, I can't manage them sure. myself. I needed a, a manager. So I, pull, I pulled in one of my best standing crew. I said, you know what? You need to come in here to the office. Here's a desk. Here's a cell phone. Here's a truck. Here's a gas card. You need to manage these crews. It was a disaster because yep. he was a standing guy. So then I thought, man, oh man, what am I going to do? So I put him back in the field and because all he wanted to do was babysit everybody and show them how to do all the touch-ups and show them how to do everything. Right. And he, he wanted to reteach everybody, which, which is nice, but it, it's not profitable for a company. So uh, I thought, well, I'm going to bring an installer in to, uh, cause he, at least he knows floors. So I brought in a stuff, another disaster. Didn't work. He didn't want to be there. His guys didn't want him. It, it just didn't work. So I thought, I, I remember, I can tell you exactly. I, I remember the night, it's about nine o'clock at night. I'm sitting on my desk and I got, I'm scratching my head and, I, and it just come to me. It just come to me. We have a business. This is a business guy. I need to find a coordinator, an estimator, yeah. a, a, a guy that knows. So I'm thinking, okay, I got 280 some builders or 276 builders or so. Who is the best guy, estimator, project coordinator, is all these builders that I've worked? And a guy's name come to me. And I thought, I'm going to call him. So I called him first thing in the morning. And he, I said to him, I said, would you consider coming and working for us? He laughed right out loud. He says, doing what? And I says, running crews. He says, no, I'm an estimator for a home. I'm a project coordinator for a home builder. I said, yeah, okay. I said, this is what I'll give you. And it was very much more than what that builder was given. I say that. Sure. He said, uh, I said, well, I'll tell you what, when you get pissed off someday, call me. You know what? I wasn't, uh, I bet you it was about six weeks later. He calls me up. He said, you got time for lunch? I said, yeah, I do. Absolutely. I knew exactly where it was going. Eh? And he called me up. He says, oh, we met for lunch. And he says, I want to see here what you have to offer. So I told him. And, he, and I, I also told him, I said, I'll make this work for you. Because it's just, not only do I have to be happy, but you got to be happy too. So he come over, he'd give his notice. Three weeks later, he'd come over and he was with me for years. And now, and he went on his own and, and now he runs his own hardware flooring company and he does very well at it. Um, but he, and he was with me for years and years and years. And he filled a key, key spot because he didn't know hardwood. Yeah, nobody can do everything. You you can go and you can study business and, and you can go build a business. You still have to learn it like you did. This is classic school of hard knocks. But you you learned like I did. The, the worst person to start a business is a technician. The guy that installs and sand and finishes. But 
they keep you in the past. They keep you understanding that what we did worked. There are rules, and this is how flooring should be done. But you need business people who aren't savvy of that to say, well, the trucks have to get out today, and you've got to move quicker, and we've got to get a certain amount of work done. They keep you in the present. And then you find that person in your company that's the um, entrepreneurial person that says, well, I want to launch us to the future. I always want to be going forward. And they keep you in ahead into the future. As a manager, and, and you've learned it the hard way like I did, you start to realize I can orchestrate and be the band leader for all of that, but I need to be aware that those components are working. Those people are different. They, the managerial time-conscious people are not the same as the people that go get the work done who are not the same as the people that are the dreamers. But when you can bring them all together, like you're saying, uh, no one in the field wants to do the, pers- the accounting person's job. The accounting person doesn't want to go learn about sanding a floor. But when you bring them together, and I, I read some of what you wrote, you, one of the things you said was, yeah, and get yourself, one, understand profit, two, get yourself a good bookkeeper right? Someone's got to watch those books. Someone's got to keep you, keep you making money. That bookkeeping is, is, is very, and I've learned that the hard way. I haven't always, when starting out, when you're a young guy, you keep it all in your head. But you know, when I started, I started Woody's here again. Uh, I, I'm probably top heavy on bookkeeping. I have, uh, I have a guy in the office that all he does is, is, is administrating for me and data entry for, for QuickBooks. That's all he does. He sits there all day and he just, he does administrating. But then I have a bookkeeper that picks everything up every month and goes through it all. And then I have an accountant uh, that it goes, it goes to his place. And every quarter he calls me up and we go through it again. So I've learned to, uh, I, I've learned the hard way. Uh, I can tell you, I, I, U.S. government is probably the same as Revenue Canada. They feed off of the weak guys. That's where they make the money. That's what, if you if you want to uh, pay Revenue Canada or U.S. government a lot of money, just be unorganized, sure. and they will hit you with penalties, and they will hit you with interest, and and they and you will you can win a lot of wars, but you will never win against them, and you have to pay. You will have to pay, and and good bookkeeping, good management on that end of it, it, it makes your makes growth a lot easier, and it makes your sleeping a lot easier. And I've learned it the hard way. I believe me, I I have learned that lesson the hard way. So you must have come across the the next, as I see it, the the next generational thing. I had my company built. It got my crews got twenty guys, chopped them down, found out less was more, and then I said, you know what? I'm so good at this. I'm going to get a beautiful building and put samples and have a showroom and get a forklift and. I've helped people do that now for decades, and I think you and I talked about it. the first advice I give them is, one, don't do this. Don't do this. Because yeah, from history, no. it proved to me, you know, most of my successful customers all built showrooms. And then it becomes, I can't be there every day. I'll have my wife do it. Uh, it's not profitable enough. Why don't you just meet me there by appointment? Appointment becomes, I'm too busy during the week. Just meet me there on Saturday. Becomes, why am I spending money on this place? Unless you just start a distributorship or you have somebody that can run a showroom that has soup to nuts, every type of flooring there is. When you're specialized in hardwood flooring, it, it almost seems pointless to have one. And you have a beautiful series of showrooms, but they're not like the ones you would have started your first round, right? That's a whole different ballgame. No, it's, it's back to that ego thing. You, it, there's an ego There's an ego about having uh, 10 crews working for you, and there's an ego about having a showroom. And, you know, I've done it. It's just like... Um, just like having a baby, you you have you you got this idea. You want a baby. You have a baby. 
well, guess what? It ain't going away. It's there. And it's, and it's going to, and it's, it, it needs your attention. It needs your money. It needs your effort. It needs everything you got. It needs it. And it, and you, if you're willing for it, then go for it. But it is, it, it's a headache. It's a handful. It's, it's, and it's a, it's a, it's a quiet cancer that eats at you and eats at you every month, every month, every month. Um, I tell you, the only reason I put in a showrooms again is because we're manufacturing. If I was not manufacturing, if I just had to buy a product and sell it and install it and finish it, I would not do a showroom. Sure. Um, I can tell you most sanding and finishing jobs, I would say over 95% could care less if I had a showroom. They would never come in. They would never come and see my showroom or they'd never, ever want it. But yeah, it's interesting uh, how pe- how we work, how our, us guys think that we all think that we need we need that image. We need we need and and with a show a show you know the rent of a showroom is is, is small. That's, that's not the that's not the bad part. Right. The bad part you rent a showroom thirty five hundred bucks a month, but you got to put a five thousand dollar person in there. Right, and that person's got to go out and do estimates. So one five thousand dollar person don't work. You got to put two. You got to put ten thousand dollars worth of people in there a month to run a thirty five hundred dollar show. I'm talking costs of overhead, and now and that's not counting the op costs. That's just that's the hard cost of what what it's going to cost you. With well, then each one of those estimators, they're going to hand you a gas bill and a sell bill and a commission and everything else to go in. You know, it's no time at all. I always say you open a showroom. 20 grand a month right off the bat. Sure. And and that's just to make it happen. Well, the salary alone, setting it up. salary of the that, average yeah. salesperson on an average uh, pay, if they were only to return you 20% profit margin, they will cost you about a half a million dollars to break even on their pay, another half a million to even make enough profit to, to go beyond that. And then people don't consider when you are an entrepreneur and you look at it here in the U.S., each person has FICA, federal matching, SUI, SDI, in- insurances, all that stuff. And like, and you had mentioned it, bookkeeper, bookkeeper, bookkeeper. You can't keep up with that. People will buy software and QuickBooks and other things. And that's that's a lot. And that's a lot of over. They had better be, like you said, they had better be able to sell, sell, sell. Yeah, 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 exactly. But the other thing I encourage guys is, uh, you know, you, you sure you're going to open a showroom. Sure. You're going to open, get these customers. Sure. You're going to pay your crews. You know, I had a guy walk in there. To, I we're, we're doing a job right now. He, he's got a 12. This just happened this morning. I had a guy, one of my installers walk into the shop. He's a subcontractor for me. And he walked in the shop. He's almost done a job. Um, it's a $12,000 install. And he says, Ken, can I get four grand from you? I said, yeah, Tim, write him a check four grand. You know, you better be able to do that, right? Because, you know, he, he. I'll tell you what happened to me. I used to always get advances, advances, and I used to get so mad. And so one day I was sitting at the accountant's office, and I was just fuming because I had all these advances out there. And he says, "Ken, stop." He says, "If those guys could operate and budget and manage as good as you could, he says, think of all the competition you'd have." He says, they're leaning on you for their bank. And he says, you better get used to it. He says, because that's how it works. So we, we do it here. Like we, 
we, you know, he walked in and says, can I get four grand? Yeah, here's four grand. No problem. Get back to the job. Get the job done. You know, I'm not going to get paid for that job for probably two more weeks. Sure. And it's, and it's a, a $70,000 job. So where did that money come from? You, so it was one thing to sell these jobs. Right. It's one thing to do them. But you better have the pockets to float it. Yeah, there's Otherwise, not a flooring contractor in the, said, that I know in the world. Most of them, ninety nine percent of them, they if they got a seven thousand, ten thousand dollar hit because they hit a pipe or they did something wrong or they put the wrong material in, they probably paid for insurance they can't use, and they will be out of business. They couldn't possibly recover from a seven thousand dollar loss or a five thousand dollar loss. And, and that boils down to doing their last twenty jobs too cheap. Yeah, you're exactly right. Finish this sentence. Work hard. Do good work and what? Do work hard, do good work, and charge and lots. <laughs> charge, charge, you know, nobody wants to rip off, but no. Yeah, I, I, so I'll tell you a story. I'll tell you what happened to me one time. I had a family member that called me up and says, "Ken, I need some oak for my floor, and it needs to be reclaimed, and needs to be this, and needs to be." I knew the exact she's talking about i knew the exact one so i called down to pennsylvania where i knew that floor was being made and i got a price and i got a price to freight it to calgary and i got it, i got it all and it come into like seven back then it was like seven ten a square foot so i called her up i says yeah i got it here for you i can get it for you i can i know exactly what you're talking about I, no problem i said i i'll just sell it in the woods alone 750 a square foot you know, I won't make, I don't need to make anything on it, 40 cents really for my time, a square foot. And, and I said, uh, I never told her 40 cents, but I just said 750 square foot. She usually had to make sure, no, 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 no. That's not the right floor. That's what you mean. No, the one I was looking at was a lot more than that. I said, oh, really? Okay. Let me find out. So I hung up, went back to the shop, did some stuff, walked back, picked up the phone, phoned her back to yeah, I found your floor. Fourteen fifty a square foot. Woo-hoo. Yeah, that's the one. I said, yeah, I knew that. Sure, no problem. I'll bring the deposit over. When can you get it? I said, order it right now. I ordered from the exact same place. She never knew the difference. I bought it in for seven ten. I sold it for fourteen fifty. And you know what it taught me? People like to pay for good stuff. It's to do. People like to pay. I had a house. I had a house for sale one time, and I couldn't sell it. Couldn't sell it. You know, my father-in-law told me, "Put it up." I said, "What? Put it up? Hello? Put it up in price?" Yeah, I says, "What are you talking about?" I put it up in price. I sold it in two weeks. Absolutely. People Perceive don't value. want. They want to be able to tell their friends they paid a lot of money for this floor. They do. So we were just talking about this the other day with our with our estimators. Um, if you, we all we always talk square footage, right? So we our throwing guys. So we're always like, okay, oh yeah, eight dollars, eight fifty, eight twenty five. But if you stop and look, because the customer doesn't look at that. No. They don't care. They look at the bottom line. How much is it going to cost me to do this? Our average floor is eight hundred square feet on sanding and finishing. Sure. Yeah. So, so eight. So if I'm charging eight bucks, that's sixty four hundred bucks right. for that floor. But if I was charging nine bucks. That's eight hundred. That, that's seventy two hundred. So, so, so they're looking at two estimates: sixty four or seventy two. 
But we do know that Woody's does a really good job because they did so-and-so's house, and we know them guys. And you know what? 800, 800 bucks is not going to make a difference to them. But you know what? That 800 bucks is pure profit for the hardwood flooring contractor. Absolutely. Pure profit. But you take 800 bucks off of 6400 and now all of a sudden, you're working for a pretty slim margin. Right. Right? And so, you know, I, here's, a, here's a story we always tell our estimates. We, we'll get a customer, we'll say, they'll call us back, they'll say, or we'll call them or, or our estimate will call and say, how, hey, how did we make out with that price last week? Yeah, it's all, uh, but you're 500 bucks more or $1,000 more than so-and-so. Yeah. Um, well, could you match their price? We always answer with the same question. We always say, no, 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 we would never, we would never match their price. Oh, why is that? They say, well, we just, our product, our product, our work, our organization, everything is a thousand dollars better. And what we're not going to match. We're not going to match. We won't, we won't go down to match. We know we're that much better. Right. Usually the next thing out of their mind is their mouth is, well, when could we schedule the job? So we never badmouth nobody. No. But we just, we promoted ourselves. Absolutely. We just know, we know we're that much better. We don't need to, we don't need to match their It's price. the most expensive and valuable piece of furniture in somebody's home. And you know, we, I talk about this all the time. We would go and they used to call us the Primadonna floor guys. They build all year and build a house and there's framing and there's painting and there's drywall, blah, 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 blah. And at the end, they have a big hookout and they'd always say, bring, bring everybody. And we'd show up and, and the people would come up and go, there they are. They just part the seas. There's our hardwood flooring people. Oh, I love my hardwood floors. Well, that's the idea of it. You might want to get a painter that's going to cut you a deal. Don't ask me to cut you a deal. This is a craft it's wood. Yeah. People want yeah. to walk on it and drag a ladder on it. And the whole process is if yeah. you don't protect that work and, and do your craft like the way you're supposed to do it. And you know what? You should get paid for it. And I first time in 30 years, I now have customers. They've come so far along that I'll ask them. So now what do you get a square foot? They go, oh, please. I don't know. It's a, it's a. 5400 for a staircase dining rooms are four grand they know exactly they don't even bother for the estimate they might call they might ask some questions they might already know their construction well enough they already have a number yeah where they're going to yeah and if people are yeah. really finicky they'd say you know it might be within a thousand of that but why don't you you know shop around even the ones that you show up in the old days and you pull up into these three vans in the driveway that's just insulting and everybody, and you know, the guy that drops his price to the least common denominator, I know those guys. They've been coming in for 20 years, and it's still, well, I, I got another quarter, but I had to go back to a dollar because my builder doesn't like me. The builder doesn't want you to raise your rate. The builder doesn't didn't tell you that plywood went from $32 to 100 and that he just sold a $189,000 ranch for 249000 and the house that they built for 550000 is going for 870000 But he doesn't want to give you a dime for your hardwood flooring. And I know people that today can barely walk. You know, they try to keep fit. They can't stop doing flooring because they, they, they fall out of shape. And if they had been able to pack away the what they deserved for that position, maybe they'd be a better shot at being in better health, better shape, money in the bank, and not so worried about finance. 
the the evolution that you've gone through with your company is that is the school of hard knocks that you had better learn from. You know, the Bona people used to do a seminar and they said, you know, are you a a 20-year floor guy that wakes up every day and you did the same thing? Or did you wake up every day and said, I'm going to learn something today? I did that. You did that. Most of the people we talk to on the podcast do that. They're, and then you become, like you said, it's almost like um, it's it's almost like an addiction. I it can't get away from flooring now. I love it. Every aspect of it, testing it, studying it, listening to people's complaints, going to claims. One of the good things about COVID, I started being able to do a full inspection on my phone with somebody on the other end with a tape measure and just the things I might have needed and solve yeah. a lot of sore, uh, flooring problems. Um, everything that we've done so far has gotten you to the point where you're at. And you know what we don't have, Ken? Enough people. More than that, we don't have enough yeah. qualified no. people. That's our big problem right now. But, but you know what, though? See, we would have enough people and we would have qualified people if – we could show people that we're making a decent living at it. Yes. If there's good, if there's a, it is, it's the last thing in a house that's total craftsman. Yep. Everything else is made in the factory or made somewhere else, brought, fit, cut, put in. Yep. A hardwood sand is the last guy in this whole industry, construction industry I'm talking, that is a complete craftsman. Sure. 100%. Hey, Wood Floor Pros, this is Kim Walgren, the longtime editor of Wood Floor Business. Are you up to date on all the news in the wood flooring industry? Have you seen the top articles that are trending on woodfloorbusiness.com? And the funniest wood flooring memes, too? Don't miss them. Make sure you sign up for the Wood Floor Business e-news, delivered to your inbox every Monday and Wednesday. You can sign up quickly by going to woodfloorbusiness.com and scrolling down to the e-news sign up. That's it for now. Let's get back to our discussion with Canadian pro Ken Peterson. Kim Walgren said, she said, ask him about, um, you had a, several crazy job site stories, which I know we've been over a few already. I didn't know what, whatever. Oh, oh, oh yeah. We've had, I don't know if you, you want to, if you want to take the time right now to hear a couple, but uh, we've got some, when you, when you run through, we, we were averaging uh, 12 house, nine to 12 houses a day. So when you do that many jobs, Things happen, right? right? Like there's a lot of drama that happens at the end of the month. So yeah, we've 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 seen our share of uh, of, of crazy things that's happened. Um, I just I'll give you a quick I'll give you a quick one here. Um, we we had a guy that uh, said, "Ken, I want hardwood in my whole house, the top two floors." And this is back in the old stand and finish days. He said, "I'm going to Florida for a month." He said, I'm going to take all my furniture and I'm going to put it in the basement. And he said, I want hardwood, two and a quarter, select oak, both floors, everything but uh, the two bathrooms and laundry room. But, uh, and not, and, but I want you to do the half bath upstairs. There's a half bath up there. I said, yeah, okay, no problem. So he, he, he jammed his basement full of furniture. Like, I mean, jammed it full. And away he goes to Florida. So we lay all the floors in the whole house and then we're standing away and you know, one of my guys that that edger went around the toilet and, and kind of tipped into the toilet bowl, uh, the flange a bit, and jumped across the floor and cut that pipe right off. Oh. That water supply coming up, and so now I got water shooting straight up to the ceiling. Right. So first thing they do is they call me, Ken. Well, I said, go run downstairs and shut off the water. We can't get in the basement. It's full of furniture, jammed. Like I mean, jammed. 
I said, come on. No. So I jump my truck. I take off out there. Sure enough, you can't get in the basement. It is jammed. Meanwhile, water's just running like crazy. Oh, eh? no. So I says, call the fire department. So we call the fire department. Fire department comes out, says, well, we shut it. We need to shut off the water going into the house. So they can't find it. So they call the supervisor. He brings out a metal detector. Here they find it. It's underneath the driveway. Someone concreted over the water valve. So meanwhile, where this is like three hours later, water's still just pouring, right? It's nothing you can do. It's, it's a pipe's cut off flush with the hardwood. So anyway, oh, what, I tell you what we did. We tried to jam our finger down or something down in it, and we pushed the pipe down into the floor joist. So now we even had a worse mess. <laughs> so now the pipe. So anyway, so the city comes out. So the city comes out with their metal detectors and stuff to find this. this you know, you can't. Okay, we're going to shut the water off for the subdivision. Okay. So that's a different size of key. Like it's a big, big key. They didn't have it with them. Back down to the dispatch yard, get the key, come back. We're talking four hours later. Meanwhile, the water's just in the house. It wrecked that house, Steve. It finally shut it off, but it wrecked that house. It dropped all the ceiling. Oh, no. It wrecked all the furniture in the basement. It, it, it would, it, the cabinet doors all fell off. It was just, it was the biggest. We wrecked the house. We absolutely, Boy. the hardwood all swelled and cupped and curled in every room. It was, I, I just walked away. I said, well, I guess we ain't been paid for it this one. what it is. <laughs> right, and you know what? Our insurance stepped in and just took care of the whole thing. And, uh, you know, I called the homeowner in, in, in Florida, and I told him what happened. And uh, um, he was, he was, you know what? He, i tell you who he was. He was a. He was a, a one of the drummers for Brian Adams. Oh no! Wow! Oh <laughs> so, no! So it's a nice house. We're not talking about. No, yeah, it's a nice house. <laughs> so it, so he, he he wasn't at that time, but he had been before. But he, he was really good about it. And uh, yeah, we just I just said sorry, man. Like accidents happen, and I said multiple. You know, if you, you hadn't concreted over the valve, we could have shut it off. We haven't. I've done, you know, having to jam the basement full, you know, there's a whole bunch of what ifs, what right. ifs, what ifs, right? Yeah. But yeah, That's no, we've crazy. had some, I'll just, I'll, I'll tell you another little real quick one. Sure. We had this guy we did a job for and uh, he says, I don't care about anything in this house except for one thing. And he holds up this jersey and um, it's a Team Canada jersey signed by every player. And, and he says, I want you to resand all the floors in my house. And it was a bungalow house with unfinished basement. No, no, uh, nothing finished in the basement. So anyways, we get the job all done. And he comes into the shop the day after. And he was ready to kill people. Uh-oh. He was so mad. And he's holding this jersey. And he took that jersey downstairs and hooked it on an electrical wire in the basement, in the center of his basement, because he didn't want nothing to happen with this jersey. Well, then my guy, we've all done it. You have a little extra finish left over, and you put it down the hot air vent, Uh-oh. and it kind of run down the vent, and guess where that jersey was sitting? Right underneath a joint oh, in the no. in the ductwork, and it dripped on the shoulder of that jersey, and that was oil-based finish, all the way down the front and the back of that jersey, and it hung about eight inches off the bottom of that jersey before it dried, eh? and it just absolutely wrecked up. He, I, I thought he was going to kill us. He was so mad like what's the chances that whole basement 
and he hung that jersey right under that joint where them guys dumped a little bit of finish down that hot air vent. Leave I'm it like, in a dresser oh, drawer. Man. Put it in a suitcase. Take it to work with you. What's wrong with people? Oh, yeah. So, well, listen. Yeah, before, we got lost. I got. I could do another hour broadcasting. We'll, uh, we'll do this just, stuff. Listen, before I stuff cut. Before I cut you loose, though, what I want to do is I'm going to ask you um, just a series of like six quick fire questions. You answer them as quick as you can, and then I will let you get out of here because I, I, listen, we've we've chatted. I knew this would we would be able to chat, but I'm going to ask you these questions, and we'll try not to hang in there too long. You just give me a quick answer. Are you ready to go? There's six of them. Yeah. Okay. If you could only choose, you wear a lot of hats, like I or anybody else in in flooring. If you could only choose one hat to wear each day, which would it be? Business, the Selling. contact, the install, the sand, the finish, the management, the which part of it? If you could just do one part of what you do. Estimating. estimating. Going and meeting customers and estimating jobs. Is there anything in the industry, the industry as a whole, that just drives you nuts? That drives me nuts. Yeah, anything, anything um, at all. That just you're like, oh boy, this again. Yeah, it's probably. Uh, oh man, probably that's too many to see. think of, right? No, no, you know, you know, I love this industry. So it, do I. The, I. I think more. I think more than anything is uh, is, is probably guys with attitudes and guys that don't care, like uh, of our of our installers and finishers and stuff. Guys, guys that. Uh, yeah, I put up with a lot of crap from a lot of guys for a lot of years, and I'd say that's one of them. One of them. The the other would be um, the lack of uh, professionalism. On, I would love to see a certification come for installers and finishers. Sure. I would. I would be the biggest supporter ever of you can't sand the floor unless you're certified. Gotcha. Or you can't. And I know that's a tough deal, but you know what? You can't do electrical. You can't do plumbing. You can't do heating. You can't do, there's a lot of things you can't do. I would love to see it with the flooring industry because it would give us all a better name. All right. And you, I would, I would be a big supporter of that. You have a, you have a lifelong dedication to the flooring industry. That's what you grasp onto. And that's what you've run with. Um, what do you appreciate the most about your dedication to being in this industry for so long and you'll be in it forever? I love to see stuff happen. I, I love I love to put a plan together and walk away with it done. What do you think you would have done or wanted to do if 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 you didn't like fall into flooring like the rest of rest of us? What do you think you would be doing? I probably would have went the construction end of it more. more. I have done a bit of construction with Dad, but. Uh, and, and on my own too, but I probably would have, yeah, I would have, uh, I went push more, push the construction end of it more than the home, than the flooring end of it for sure. So somewhere between your office and your showrooms and Alberta and Saskatchewan and everywhere is somewhere in your life. There is there carpet. Are you hiding carpet anywhere in your home, your van, your mailbox, something? Or is there carpet somewhere in your possession in your home? Yeah, my my wife in 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 our basement in the bedrooms. Um, she has carpet. How old um, is it? Is this old or is this new? No, I uh, well, let's just say this, Steve. I've been married thirty three years, and this is our twenty second house. Oh, <laughs> so I I figure that if you have to change the uh, change the furnace filter, you've been there too long. But you. no. Um, we we have a lot of times hardwooded everything. On this house here, we decided that the four bedrooms in the basement, the kids are all gone now anyways, but them four bedrooms, 
we would put carpet in them. And so she did a carpet in them. But you know what? We always, we, we've all said, what do we do that for? Nope. Last question is, um, in our industry, is there anybody that you would like to train with or you haven't met or would like to speak with that you've heard of or you know of in the industry that you'd like to meet or spend time with that you haven't? Um, the, yes, there is. It, I, I really, I, the old, I tell you what I, I'd like to, I'd like to, and I'm going to someday is I on Instagram and stuff. I follow some of these guys in U- UK and England and and over there that do the exact same thing I do. I there's I don't know anybody else in North America that do the exact same thing I do. I manufacture, I in- supply, I sand, I install, I finish. I, I take it right to the I take it right from the raw product right to picking up the check with it all the. I don't know anybody else that does that with including the sanding and finishing part of the, the scope of work. But there is guys in the UK that do, and I and I follow them and I watch them, and I have talked on messaging back and forth. With them. They do a very good job of it, and I'm always like, "Okay, what am I doing wrong?" Like, there's always something I know I can improve on, and that would be somebody. Um, those would those guys. They've been around a long time, and and and, and they've got her dialed in. And I and you know, North America is always about ten years behind Europe, right? On, on our parquets and our herringbones and chevrons and everything. We're just now getting popular on chevron and herringbones up here. Well, that's, we're 15 years behind in the UK. So, so there's, there's some really good operators over there. I, I watch them and, uh, it would be nice to meet them it, someday. Someday we'll, we'll head over there and, and meet some of these guys, but. Yeah. Well, Ken Peterson from Woody's Harbor Flooring in Kelowna, British Columbia, Canada. I really, really appreciate your time. Uh, me and Wood Floor Business Magazine, I really appreciate you coming on and talking with me. You're a good dude, man. And I think that, that your story is crazy. I think people need to get in online and look at the Woody's website. It, it, it's not what you think. When you see it, you'll be amazed what you've created. That's a lot of flooring. There's a lot of muscle, might, power, equipment for a company that has such a simple manner to them. Uh, I've got to thank you for your time. I really, really appreciate it. And don't forget, everybody should look at the article that you've coming out in uh, Woodford Business Magazine in the um, June-July issue. So we're good, buddy. Yeah, and we did we did have a bomb, the, the, the pipe bomb story on the last issue, too. Uh, uh, the one that just came out last month. We, that, the pipe, that was another story. But the, yeah, that pipe bomb issue is, uh, we're going to follow up with Woodford Magazine with a few more of these crazy things that have happened in our industry. But uh, That's yeah. in there right Looking now. I, I suggest people read that because it's, it's fascinating. And uh, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to leave that as a surprise. That's a teaser. Go to Woodford Business Magazine, look for um, Ken's material, but and look for the, the pipe bomb story. <laughs> Okay, well, thanks, Steve, and uh, we'll do we'll do this again. Anytime. Listen, I greatly appreciate it. You take care of yourself. We will talk soon. Yeah, thank you. All right, okay, thanks, Ken. Take care. To read Ken Peterson's article in Woodfloor Business, check out your June July 2022 issue of Woodfloor Business. If you don't get a print copy, you can find the article at woodfloorbusiness.com. Just put Ken's name in the search box. That's Ken, P E T E R S E N. While you're there, don't forget to sign up for your free subscription. Thanks for listening to All Things Wood Floor by Wood Floor Business. Don't forget to rate this podcast and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode.